everybody. Welcome to Hebsey on Sports, episode 37. Brought to you by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club in Burlington. Fall is here. Well, I sort of, I, it's still summer, whatever. And of course, the numerous fall specials available at Crosswinds. It's a great place for banquets, tournaments, weddings, and of course, glorious golf. Whether it be summer golf, early fall golf, the leaves are changing color golf, it's beautiful. Go to crosswindsgolf.com and see what they have to offer. You'll be pleasantly surprised. We're also sponsored by John Vassos, the mortgage specialist. These days, it's hard to find someone you can trust when it comes to mortgages. John will negotiate the best rates in Canada on your behalf and will give you unbiased advice because he doesn't work for a bank or a lending institution. He works for you. Contact John anytime by text or phone 647-533-1440. Today on the show... Domi sucker punches an opponent, gets suspended. A headline from 20 years ago? No, it just happened the other day. Did the punishment fit the crime? We'll talk about that. A couple of Boston Red Sox fans claim the league's championship banner fell off a truck, and they found it. (laughs) A likely story. We'll investigate that. The Cleveland Browns win for the first time in two years, and they did it without their radio sideline reporter who was suspended for yelling at an official. So, all these games they lose with the radio sideline reporter, he gets suspended, boom, they win. What does that tell you about that guy's job? And should Shonei Otani of the Angels be eligible for Rookie of the Year honors, even though he spent five seasons in the Japanese elite professional league? So, like, he's a first-year player in baseball, but he's not exactly a rookie, or is he? We'll talk about that as well. They say you should never, ever leave a game early, no matter what the sport, because anything can happen. I believe it was Lawrence Peter Yogi Berra who uttered the famous phrase, it ain't over till it's over, or something to that effect. But when your team has been playing like a bunch of dogs and they trail by six runs heading into the ninth inning, even your humble reporter didn't think the Jays were capable of a comeback. So what did they do? They rallied for seven runs in the ninth and beat Tampa 9-8. Wow. How many people in the stands when that happened, uh, would you guess? Uh, first of all, how many people came for the first, first inning or whatever? Oh, was it like and how the, many it, stuck around? It was announced at 19,000 and change. I left after the 8th because, oh. uh, like most people, you know, it was late. I mean, it was it was like after 10 o'clock by that. But it doesn't matter. The point of the matter is, is that it's, you know, it's a, it's a Thursday night. Your team's been playing horrible. They're giving, two. they're giving you no indication uh-huh. whatsoever that they could possibly score. I mean, if you would have gone to everyone there and said, what are the chances of the Jays... Not, not, not just tying it, winning it. I'm not one. Maybe you might have gotten somebody saying, you know, ten to one. Maybe a diehard fan would say the chances oh, are a delusional. A person. delusional fan would have said, well, you know, if they get this and an error and whatever in one inning, six run, the chances were you know, slim and none. And slim had just left town or left the ballpark, like most of us did. <laughs> but earlier in the evening, you see, I don't like the Rogers Center at all. I can hardly wait for the retrofit. I liked it when it first opened because it was 1989. It was like, oh, look at this. It's new. And they got a roof and it goes in and it goes out. And it's wonderful. And it's new. And the Jays have a great team and they're packing it with 50,000 fans. And the reason there's 50,000 seats is because the Jays, or the, the people of Toronto thought it, we can attract an NFL team with 50,000. You needed more. I think you needed 60. But the point is, is that when they built it, it was, it was fine for right then and there. It's a football stadium before a baseball stadium. If you've ever sat near down the line, you're facing out onto the field, not towards home plate. The seats, like in Cleveland, the seats are angled towards home plate. It's a baseball-only stadium. 
But you try sitting out there where the 50-yard line or 55-yard line would be in a football stadium where you want to be looking straight ahead, straight at you, because that's the way that it's happening. It doesn't work like that in baseball. So I, don't like, I just don't like the place. But here's the thing. We get there a little late, my buddy, after, the, after an event that we were at, which I'll tell you in a sec. We get there a little bit late. And now they're closing up one of the security areas where the season ticket holders go in. They're like wrapping. I'm going, hey, we got, no, oh, no, no, go down over there, gate 11. But, but we always go, nope, sorry. It was like midway in the first inning. And so right off the bat, it's like not exactly a welcoming place. And even the cop says, it's like, I got nothing to do with it at all, but I agree <laughs> with you. I'm just standing guard here, you know. You got to go down to that gate. There's lineups 20 minutes after the game has started. There's lineups to get through security still. Now, I don't like this at all. You know, the game's at 7.07. I get it. You should be able to. You should be able to arrive there and not spend that much time going through security. But some of the lineups were ridiculous. Then when we get to our seats, my buddy orders some popcorn. <laughs> And the guy, this is what the vendors do, all right? You're going to give them, no matter what you're buying, you got to give them at least a $20 bill because there's nothing under $10 there. <laughs> but, but whatever, it, whether it's a 20 or a 10 or whatever, you're going to get some change back, but reluctantly from the vendor. He's going to reluctantly reach in for the toonie or the loonie or the two quarters or whatever it is, right? You know this. Because he wants you to wave him off. He wants you, he's waiting for you to go, yeah, keep it. Because, you know, it's going to be too much of a hassle for me to grab the beer or the popcorn and some change. No, it's not. Right. It's expensive already. The beer's 13 bucks, 13.50, whatever it is. The popcorn, I don't even remember, eight bucks. Ridiculous. <laughs> so here's what happens. My buddy orders it, pays him, and then and we're about four or five seats in, and then the guy kind of reaches, you know, down the aisle and he goes to put the, whatever the change was, uh, a couple of loonies or a couple of toonies, whatever, into my buddy's hand, and he misses. He kind of drops it from a few feet away, and he misses. Now, there's nothing worse. You've got your food, you're waiting for your change, and now this guy drops the thing, and now you've got to go searching under your seat, and there's not a lot of room there. The play, it's packed in there. Right. You've got to go, no, he's pissed <laughs> off. So, oh, come on, buddy, can't you just put it in? And he's you know, reaching, looking for a quarter there and a loonie there, whatever. A little bit later on, the same vendor comes down, and a guy a few rows for a few seats down from us. This guy wants to order something. So now you know the drill. You got to pass the money this way, and then the other way you got to pass the food or whatever it is to the guy, and then the change. So you're in the middle. I'm in the middle of watching the game, and I got to do this exchange thing with this guy. Okay, here comes the money this way. Okay, there's the money. Okay, now here's your food. There you go. Now oh, I got to give you change. So what does the guy do? My, he, he hands the change to my buddy to send it down to this other guy and drops the change again, just drops the change. And this time it's, you know, again, it's three loonies or it's uh, a toonie and two loonies. And my buddy goes, hey, hey, you effing so-and-so to this vendor, this jerk vendor who's waiting to see if he's going to get tipped. And now he's just dropping the change in there. And now the same thing. But now it's not his money. It's the other guy's money, the guy down the aisle who's got his hot dog or whatever, and now he wants his $4.50 change. But it's on the floor. It's, it's fallen down the, to, to the row in front of us. It's just it's a nightmare. The reason I bring this up, this was at the ball game. A few nights earlier, my friend and I had gone out for dinner. He's a vegetarian. We go to a restaurant that we love going to. We love. It's not a vegetarian restaurant. It's just a great spot. So we go to this restaurant, and we order our food, and the server does not speak English so good-looking. You know what I mean? <laughs> doesn't quite does a lot of pointing to pictures stuff like that but so we order it and we say no meat like we're ordering some green beans and some other stuff no meat we say no meat so what does he do he takes the orders first thing he brings us this beautiful green bean dish which we love with like pork in it we're no meat 
What don't you understand about it? Okay, he doesn't speak English that well. Okay, we straighten him out. He takes it back. He brings us the, the green beans without the meat. And then he brings another dish that was, again, had meat in it. Like, this is twice now. This guy just doesn't get it. Now we're getting upset. The food's delicious, but we, we're not going to eat it with the meat. Now, the time comes where we want to order this fish dish, and it is uh, tilapia. And it says right on the menu, $20.99. So we go, we want the tilapia, right? And they bring you the whole fish with the head, the whole thing. It's fantastic. And the guy points to something else, and we're like, the tilapia. Tilapia, right there, $20.99. I remember. They bring us this fish. It doesn't look like tilapia. It's good. It's got a head on it and all that. It looks like a bass. But hey, whatever, right? So we eat it, and it's lovely and all that. And then the bill comes. And instead of $20.99, it's $45 for this fish. It's not tilapia. It's, it's striped bass, right? But we didn't order that. So now we say to the guy, hey, we call him over and says, you screwed up the order. Uh, we didn't order this. He goes, well, that's what you got. Yeah, but that's not what we ordered. Yeah, but that's what you got, right? And I said, I want to see the manager. And he goes, hey, bro, you ordered it. You got to pay for it. This is the server talking to me, the customer. Hey, bro. You ordered it. You got to pay for it. So now I'm like, uh, you know, give me the manager now. And now the manager comes over and she's passive aggressive, right? Oh, he doesn't speak English. Well, if he doesn't speak English, he shouldn't be serving then, right? He points a lot. stuff. I don't care. And then she makes it a big deal and says, okay, tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to charge you the $45. We're going to only charge you the $20.99. Well, of course. Of course you are, because we're not going to pay the $45. This whole thing goes on. It was just ridiculous. Anyway, what would you have done here? I mean, they completely screw up your order. The food is great. I really like the place. And then this waiter's in our face. This guy's like, he wants to fight. So, I don't know. So twice in one week, we're having problems with servers. So I'm wondering, should I dump this friend of mine? <laughs> or like, what would you have done in both cases? No, you did the right thing. You, you, you don't pay a penny more than the right. $20.99 of what you clearly ordered. That's their mistake. I will say, I think the service industry uh, isn't what it used to be. I don't want to sound like an old man uh, yelling at clouds, but uh, mm. it does seem like it's a lost art. Of the, customer. the customer used to be always right, and it's uh, not always that way anymore. Yeah. See, there's others where there's a thing called recovery plus one, where you want you not only want to appease your customer and keep that customer, but you want that customer to tell other people mm -hmm. what great service they got, even when they screwed up. That's the best time for a company to, to, to make amends for a problem right. and, then, and then add a plus one. And instead, they were like, you know, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We won't charge you $45. Oh, we weren't <laughs> going to pay it anyway. And what else? You know, do you, you could have said, look, this dish is on us or whatever. Right, you know, right. Or something. But nah, not at all. So I don't know if I want to go back. I don't know. And as far as going back to the Rogers Center, I'm... I, are you I going back there? I'm going to go back for sure. How angry are you that you didn't stick around for the ninth inning? I'm not because, it, you know what, it rarely happens. And let's face it. I mean, I, I, you know, if it was a World Series game or something, right? Like right. when Kirk Gibson hit the home run and everybody had left Dodger Stadium that night... In the World Series, what that's different. What was the score in that situation? I can't remember. I just remember the home run. But uh, oh, they were. I think it was. A, I think it was a tie game. Right. Okay. Tie well, in the ninth. They left that game, then they were stupid. Tie game in the ninth, or they might have been down one in the ninth, and he. Had, it was a two-run homer. I don't recall, but it was like the game-winning home run. Did I ever tell you? Uh, I took my daughter to a game, and it was uh, eighteen nothing for. Uh, who are we playing? Houston was up eighteen nothing at the dome, and we stuck it out till the final out. We ended up getting a two-out home run from uh, Zeke. 
Carrera right. there. But uh, 18 to 1 loss. But uh, we didn't leave early because right. if I can help it, uh, I don't leave these games early. No, and I'm the same way. And, and I think in this particular case, it was, you know, sort of everyone else was like, oh, geez, because they had chances and whatever. And they, you know, I don't know if you can say, you know, I have a feeling that this team can score six runs in the ninth. Maybe if you're the Red Sox or the Yankees with all that power, you know, it's possible. But the way things transpired, and it was great. It was a great thing for us. I'm sorry I missed it. I wish I had, I mean, I, I was not watching. I wish yeah. I had seen this. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty good. Um, Mac, oh, 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 so before this, we go, I get, we get invited to the Globe and Mail because we're subscribers, my buddy and I. We get invited to the Globe and Mail, and they're having this sort of a private party. It's a panel discussion with five of their writers, with Cahal Kelly, David Schultz, our buddy, uh, Robert McLeod, who's been there 40-odd years, uh, Rachel Brady, and Shauna uh, Risher. And so they're having a few beers in advance, and you know, they get up there in a little panel discussion, and you know, there's questions about what do you think of you know the way journalism is now, and you know, for Rachel Brady, it's you know, and what's it like being a woman, being a reporter, and going into <laughs> right. the locker room, and you know, kind of stuff like that. So that that was interesting stuff, but the crowd skewed quite old because these are newspaper readers, and they may read it off their tablet, but they're newspaper readers of which. You know, there's a line there, and I don't know what the age would be. I'm going to say mid 30s to 40, where there are newspaper readers, like physical newspaper readers, or they like to read it on the tablet or online or whatever. And then there's others, that, and there's others that get their news from other sources, of which there might be newspapers, but they come in tweets or whatever. Here's a, here's a tweet from the Globe and Mail about a story that they had written, something like that. Right. But, but you and I are like, we're newspaper readers. Like we read the physical paper, and if we can't, we'll, we'll certainly catch up with it online. So it was an interesting thing about the you know the state of journalism and how the Globe and Mail is trying to trying to attract subscribers, trying to attract readers in this you know this day and age, which is tough. And I think the Globe and Mail skews older, anyways, because it's a very sophisticated uh, like they they write at a higher you know reading level, for example. I think it skews older. Globe yeah, it Mail. skews more intelligent. Okay, well, yes, and sometimes you have to be a little older to realize you're intelligent. <laughs> oh. All right, that was uh, that was Toronto Mike there, ladies and gentlemen, with that uh, piece of info. I don't know about that, but yeah, the crowd that was there, although there was free food and booze, that'll do it. So, <laughs> if you, yeah, you should have got a plus two. I would have, I would have come with you guys. Max Domi of the Montreal Canadiens was suspended for five preseason games because of his sucker punch on Florida's Aaron Ekblad. As soon as the incident took place, the geniuses on social media found clips of Max's dad, Ty Domi, suckering Ulf Samuelson, suckering Scott Niedermeyer. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. But I mean, whatever, you know, just find the video. It's not that hard of Ty Domi losing his temper and, and clocking a guy. And of course, naturally, it's like, oh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, first of all, Max Domi is not the player that his father was. He's a completely different player. But it was easy for someone to say, oh, look what he did, just like his dad there. Um, but what happened was he got suspended for five preseason games. <laughs> now, there's suspensions, and then there's suspensions. There's punishment, and then there isn't punishment. And the best tweet I saw came from Eric Smith, Toronto Raptors broadcaster, who wrote, not playing in the preseason is a reward, not a punishment. Right. And he's right. He's right. He's absolutely right. I mean, to be suspended for five preseason games, but none in the regular season is dumb. What would the appropriate punishment be if you were the commissioner of public safety or whatever they call well, it? Well, even one regular season game, at least there's some weight to that. Because, I mean, all the roster spots are set except for maybe backup goalie and maybe there's one other spot you can vie for but max has his wrapped up so you're right this is a reward for max domi so uh yeah not even a single regular season game there's no, no. punishment there there's no i they, mean they, what happened i remember shanahan had a period where he was giving out real uh real punishments when he had that job and yeah. then, uh not anymore it doesn't seem like uh, there's a lot of discipline going on at the nhl what would you do 
Would you submit what one game? You get one game. Uh, well, at Sucker least one game. I don't know. Uh, I feel like uh, a couple of regular season games. Uh, at least I'd say. Yeah. What do you say? Hmm. You know what? I look at the situation like: Did Domi know that Aaron Ekblad had concussion issues? Should that have anything to do with it? I don't guy's think it's more susceptible at all. Sucker, sucker punching punch should guy, be out of the game. Like why? Who is it? Who? I saw Kiprios defending the sucker punch. Uh, like oh, Ekblad should have been uh, defending himself. Can we get rid of the sucker punch? What? What do you mean, Ekblad? Is that what Kiprios said? Yeah. yeah. Ekblad should be defending but remember, himself. Remember, Kiprios like is good buds with a guy named Ty Domi and remembers Max Domi when he was in diapers. Like I think there's a huge bias there, and he's a fellow fighter. I think he stands up for the. Uh, Sucker punchers. Oh, very interesting. Oh, no. He, can, he doesn't stand up for the sucker punchers. He I probably stands up for the fact that uh, the other guy should defend himself and there shouldn't be a, uh, a big um, suspension. But I think the guy should be gone for three games. And it doesn't okay. matter who he is. You sucker punch a guy like that, you miss the first three games and you forfeit your pay. Just remember one thing. These guys don't get paid in the preseason. There is no financial penalty here for Max Domi. It's basically, okay, Max, work out with another team, right? Uh, you can't play any more preseason games. Big deal. whip de doo Here's a great story. I love this story. The Boston Red Sox are once again for the third year in a row American League East champions. So what they did was they had a division title banner made up, right? Kept in holding until they actually won the division, just in case. Although it was a you know you got to wait for a the, four, uh, it was a foregone conclusion. They the were up by so many games. Clinch. So yeah, so they had it ready. It was the, the sign had been made up. And then in a puzzling sequence of events, a 44 year old man says he found the precious championship banner on McGrath Highway in Somerville, Massachusetts. At first, he suggested that he wanted something in return. Tickets to the game would be nice. But he brought it to Fenway Park, and then the story started to get a little suspicious. You know the expression, oh, it fell off a truck? You know what that means, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, look at this, a fur coat for $100. It fell off a truck. stereo speakers, right? (laughs) Fell off a truck. So the expression is, is that, oh, they just sort of accidentally found their way from, you know, their rightly place into my arms. So these dudes... Put this. Well, they actually there was a video posted actually by the Boston Globe as they investigated the story. They figured we'll get our send our video guys out to these two, these two guys. Louis Ayacuzzi is one, and his friend was James Amaral, and they're Boston. Look, they're Northsiders, all right. So this Louis Ayacuzzi, he's uh, he says, uh, look, uh, you know, I uh, I noticed a couple of cars swinging like moving to the right, and we seen something in the street, so I ran across the highway to grab it. We bought it in a car. We had no idea what it was. He's talking about this championship banner that happened. Is that to, a Boston accent or a New York accent? I'm not yeah, I know. I, I shouldn't try to do it that way. <laughs> but anyway, I'm giving you an example. When they interviewed these guys, and, and the video's out there, it went viral. Just listening to them speak. You know, we wanted something in return. You know, we're Red Sox fans. Like that kind of a thing, right? Like we're some tra- we're trying to do the right thing. Go park the car, Cape Cod. How you like them apples? Yeah. And this, uh, his buddy goes, We're working men. You know, uh, my men had to run across three lanes of traffic. And then he basically said, um, look, we own the original. And if the Red Sox try to put one up that's not, we know that it's a duplicate. Where really, when you think about it, it was never unveiled in the first place. So who's going to know? And it's just a pennant. I don't think the Red Sox fans care about the pennant. Well, I mean, not really. But anyway, these guys wanted some cash. They were trying to like, you know, uh, strong arm the Red Sox. Well, we'll return it to you, but we want some tickets. We want to meet the players, you know, stuff like that. Anyway, it was a great little investigation that the Globe kind of went because they went to the guy... um, who owns the company that made the banner, Tony Lafuente. And he said, he says, uh, well, I don't know if it fell off the truck or if it walked off the truck. 
I've been doing work for the Red Sox since 1992, and nothing ever happened like this. <laughs> and then later in the interview, this dude uh, says that these guys stole my banner, and they should be ashamed of themselves. This isn't Boston. And then the dude, when he heard about it, went, stole your banner? You kidding me? If I don't pick it up, 100 people would have run over it. I don't want a million dollars. I don't need a million dollars. All I want is to maybe bring my family, my friends to an effing game and maybe meet a player. Fascinating. So this is, I mean, you know, just the investigation. Of, wait a minute. It fell off a truck or it uh, made its way into their arms and they're giving it back. And, there's a, and they're holding them hostage now. They're saying, we're not going to give you your banner back unless we get tickets. Anyway, P.S., they delivered the banner. They didn't get anything in return at all. Wow. But it just made it seem like it was like, dude, if you found the banner, give the banner back. But don't say, well, we're not going to give you back the banner unless we're going to get some tickets. And it's a great story because I can see all of Boston picking a side. Like, uh, whose side are you on? The Red Sox side? Like, these guys obviously stole it or whatever. Or the, the guys you found it, these are good Samaritans who are doing a good thing. They deserve something. Like good Samaritans something. for what? For a banner? <laughs> and the, here's the other thing. You see something on the highway. Yeah. Right? You're going to go, hey, that's the Red Sox. You, they didn't know what it was. It was in a box. You're going to stop and you're going to go and get this thing? Right? Don't they have highway cameras like we have? Can we I get some know. footage here? I want to see. I'm dying to know what the truth is. Here. I know. But it's like, wait a minute. You know, you, you, you go, it's in a box. You're going, hey, that could be the Red Sox championship banner in that box. I don't think so. And you're going to run across three lanes of, uh, of highway just right. to see what's in a box that fell off a truck, supposedly? And, and Hepsi, imagine, you, imagine it was true and you found the box in the highway and you opened the box. What is this? Of course, like a million out of right, you know, right. a million times, it's nothing. It's some fabric or whatever it is. And you open up, oh, right. it's the unveiled uh, pen, Un unfurled banner, banner right. for the red. Like, give me a break. The furled banner. It's a furled. It hasn't been unfurled yet. Do they think we were? Uh, we just came, fell off a turnip truck. A turnip truck, right? Think? We Come were on. born last night. We were born yeah. at night, but not last night. Anyway, the best part of it is this: the bot. This is the Boston Globe says. So this guy is going. Well, these guys stole my banner or whatever. And then they say, "Well, have any of your drivers ever used the McGrath Highway during normal business hours?" To which the guy said, "Well, yeah," leaving some doubt that it's possible that it did fall off of a truck. Right? That's one of the drive. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, it's a great little story. The Red Sox are 2018 American League champions, and they have their banner. So thank God for that. Oh, they're having a hell of a year. What would you have done if you, find, if you found it? I got the, it's the Blue Jays World Series banner. Yeah, I would uh, make some noise about it on uh, Hebsey on Sports first. And then but I would, would you demand uh, anything for it? I know, for no its return? I wouldn't demand anything. I would right. graciously give it, knowing that if you just give it, not expecting something, for sure they're going to give you no. something like See, no, I don't or think a jersey so. or something. No, they're going to give you nothing. It's a good... Uh, nothing. They See? don't believe his story. If they believed his story, they would have given him something. You think so? Uh, absolutely. What would you have done? What, what would I, you have done if I found the banner? Yeah, would you expect, would you expect something from the Blue Jays on the garden? Yes, absolutely. You if, would if it was a true story and I wasn't bullshitting and I returned the banner that they lost on the highway. Right, I would expect something. Yeah. What, what would I you wouldn't expect? hold it ransom, but of course the I could see Mark Shapiro giving me front row tickets <laughs> uh, for sure. <laughs> front row tickets to any game, and uh, I'd sit beside that lady behind home plate, uh, the Dowager. Oh yes. Too for funny. sure. All right. The Cle I know you're not a, uh, an NFL fan, but did you know that the Cleveland Browns won last night for the first time in 100 years? I saw that. They on hadn't Twitter. won a football game years. since the 1800s. Since Jim Brown. Since it's been two years. It's been like Browns fans are just, you know, and they're a horrible, horrible team. But Baker Mayfield comes in to replace Tyrod Taylor, and they end up winning. They beat the Jets, which is no, I mean, it's no mean feat. I mean, the Jets are a terrible team. So <laughs> they did it for the first time in two years, and they did it without their radio sideline reporter, Nathan Zagura. You see, Mr. Zagura 
has been had been banned from the team's radio broadcast for eight games, beginning with last night's game, because he yelled at an NFL official over a call on the sidelines in a game a couple weeks ago against uh, what did he New say? Orleans. We don't know what he said, but he basically said, you guys blew the call, you so-and-sos, like that kind of a thing. Now, you're the local radio reporter. Now, here's another thing, Mike. Let's, let's preface this by saying that local radio coverage of a, of a sports team is generally over-the-top homerism. It's Joe Bowen. It's expected. It's expected. You're doing the home team's game. You've got the local radio rights. You have a partnership with the team. You're pretty much cheerleading the team. So I think most people understand that. But this guy went out of his way, this Nathan uh-huh. Zagura, to give it to one of the officials. Hey, you're ripping us off. Hey, you know, blew that call. So there was a complaint saying, wait, are you entitled as a sideline reporter to get involved in the game that way? And the answer is no, you jerk. <laughs> During the ban, Zagura will also not participate in the pre- or post-game show. So he wasn't part of the pre- or post-game show yesterday when the Browns won. He's co-host of Cleveland Browns Daily, which airs from 1 to 3, Monday through Friday afternoons on ESPN 850 in Cleveland. He will also be removed from that show for two weeks. Oh, that's harsh. And a source said this is not the first time the Browns have had to reprimand Zagura, who was told by officials to move his location on the sidelines Sunday at the Superdome after yelling at one of them. So, number one is eight games, an eight-game suspension. Is that pretty heavy for a sideline reporter? Yes, very heavy. Wow. And, but now expect, expect the Browns to go on an eight-game winning streak. This guy was the problem. <laughs> no, but you know what? If they, do, if they win one, even one more game during that, they're going to say to him, look, Nathan, uh, we don't think you should be back on the sidelines. You're the reason we've been having pro- – without you on the sidelines, we can win. Right? Yeah. yeah. This is uh, – I mean, when I think of uh, local radio coverage, I think of bless you boys. You know what I mean? Like uh, I think of like a, like a Bowen call like that, but uh, – uh, completely biased, completely expected. But uh, I, I, I want to know what he said to the ref because it must have been more than like you blew the call. It must you have been, suck or uh, something like that. Probably or yeah. much worse. I'm thinking for eight games. That's uh, that's they yeah. don't give eight games. If you, I hate to say, it, but you could beat up somebody. Uh, not in the game. You could beat somebody up and you won't get eight right. games. I don't what, think. So tell me, what reporters have been suspended? What what media people have been suspended before by leagues? Uh, I was going to say uh, Mark Hebsher, but I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, not by the league. I was suspended <laughs> just by the, you know, just by the uh, the by Harold Ballard and the ownership at the at the Garden. <laughs> but it was me, Pat Marsden, Fergie Oliver. I think uh, the Globe and Mail. I think the reporters there were oh, banned company. from the locker rooms, stuff like that. But here's what I'm thinking: back when I was younger, and the Buffalo Sabers were just starting, their local broadcasts were over the top. Right? Ted Darling, Pat Hannigan. I mean, they were so pro-Sabres. It was nauseating, and we weren't used to that in Toronto because the Toronto announcers were very, appeared to be quite unbiased. They didn't outwardly cheer for the home team. They didn't. And that's another thing about Toronto is we understand. We understand that there's got to be, there's loyalty, but we also understand there's another team out there. We want to be objective. And I have been saying for years, Toronto fans need to be less objective and more homers. They got to be a homer. You got to be a homer. You got to be screaming, cheering for your team. You don't give the other team any credit at all. You love your team. You love your team. And on the broadcasts, they love their team. That's what you want from your local broadcaster. Get up, ball. Get up. Yeah, you, you, that's the local broadcast. Scores! You know, that kind of a thing. That's how you get hooked on a team, on the local broadcasts, right? So this guy went a little out of his league. But I'm just thinking, I remember those days going, oh, those Buffalo announcers are such homers. And then I went to Detroit, and I went, oh, those Detroit fans, those Detroit announcers are such homers. Then the worst, the Yankee guys, Phil Rizzuto, oh, the Yankees are great, the Yankees are this, the Yankees, the, they're all, look, 
The Reds, they're all a bunch of homers because that's what the fans expect in the local market. They want the local radio broadcast especially, and if the local TV broadcast, same thing, they want homerism. You want boosterism. Get that garbage out of here. Get that garbage out of here. In actual fact, I think the Raptors are probably the least homeristic of all the broadcasts here in Toronto. They are. I mean, their announcers will say, look, he sucks today or something like that, <laughs> which you don't get as often. Although I, I have to admit, I worked with Joe Bone and Joe and Jim Ralph have been doing it for over 20 years. They're not afraid to say, hey, that guy screwed up, that kind of a thing. But when the team plays well, yeah, they want them to win. Bless you, boys. There you go. Shone Otani of the Los Angeles Angels is the front runner to win the American League Rookie of the Award over Gleyber Torres of the Yankees and his teammate Miguel Andujar. The only problem is Otani played five seasons in the top Japanese professional league and I think, and I'm not the only one, should not be considered a rookie. On three previous occasions, Major League Baseball has given the Rookie of the Year Award to Japanese players, and I'm not being a racist here, who had considerable pro experience in their homeland. Not a year, but several years of experience. Ichiro Suzuki, remember him? Of course. Was 27 years old and already a legend in Japan when he came to the Seattle Mariners in 2001 and won the American League Rookie of the Year Award. The year before that, Kazuhiro Suzuki of Seattle won the Rookie of the Year Award at the age of 32 after 10 years in the Japanese Elite Professional League. 10 years. Yeah. And he was considered a rookie. In 1995, Hideo Nomo of the Dodgers who had played five years in Japan at the highest level, won the National League Rookie of the Year award over Chipper Jones, who, by the way, is a Hall of Famer now. Whatever happened to Hideo Nomo? Great uh, delivery, though, I remember Nomo had. Yeah, he had a very real, real pause. Thing and yeah, and a pause at the top. Right, right. So, uh, and again, this has nothing to do... I'm not a racist here. Right? No, I mean, if you play at the highest... Look, um, Jose Abreu played at the highest level of Cuban baseball for several years before coming to the Chicago White Sox in 2014 and winning Rookie of the Year. Right. So here's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I think that if you play a year in a top professional league, more than one year in a top professional league, and then you come to North America for baseball or football, or well, not football so much because that rarely happens, but hockey, let's say, or basketball or baseball, you should be disqualified from rookie status. Because you're a first-year player in that league, but you've been a high professional, not a not a lower pro, not a triple-A player or double-A or a minor pro in the American Hockey League. You were a, in the top professional league of your nation for more than one year. You should be disqualified from being a rookie of the year in North America. What do you think? I, I tend to agree with you on this one. Uh, I I always remember that, you know, one of the fun facts, if you will, is that, you know, even though Gretzky, I think, tied for the scoring leadership, I think, his uh, first year in the NHL, ineligible for Rookie of the Year. Correct. Because he played for the he'd Indiana, uh, Indianapolis No, no, no. He, well, he played for the Edmonton Oilers. Right. But they were okay. in the WHA, then they were um, absorbed by the NHL. Right. So Peter Stasny won Rookie of the Year that year, and Peter Stasny had had several years of top-level play in Czechoslovakia, playing for the Czech national team. Uh, in the 76 Canada Cup. Although I feel like there's an ex there could have been an exception when there was political reasons why you couldn't play in the And like if there was a political reason you weren't allowed to play in the... No, no sorry. Okay, no exception. I'm no, I'm sorry. I tend to agree with you. I'm sorry. And, and the, best, the best example, and the NHL changed the rules after 1989, 31-year-old Sergei Makarov, right. who had played over a decade on the Russian national team, who had won, I don't know, four gold medals and nine world championships, right. won Rookie of the Year. And right after that, they went. There were such complaints that people went, "Okay, that's it. It can't be." You know where this? Let's make tricky? it. I think. I think now, 
Uh, I think you can't be older than 25, I believe, to win the Calder Trophy. Uh, and I, I tend to think that if you played all those years in the KHL, for example, in Russia, right. and then you came over here as a veteran uh, elite league player, you should be disqualified. The same in Sweden. Right. Look, you play one year in the Swedish elite league. Okay, you were 18, you were 19. Then you come to the NHL because you were drafted or whatever. That's okay. But if you play a, more than a year, then you're playing at the highest level, but you're just in another country. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think it gets a little hairy with the uh, NBA, I think, because there's, for example, you often get players who come over who played, you know, in Italy, like maybe, for example, I don't think it's true of him, but uh, Andrea Bargnani, for example, maybe he played a couple of years yep, with the yep. Italian league. You did. So it does get a little hairy. Tony which leagues, Which leagues do we consider elite enough to disqualify you for rookie of the year? Like you'd almost have to have a list. I well, think. no. I mean, how many countries are there? Think about it. There's a lot of uh, well, think about pro it. basketball leagues in the in the Europe. There are, but I mean, it's the competition in those leagues as well. It's the, like is the Israel like if you played four years in the Israeli league, okay, against NBA caliber players, and you're a professional, uh, you're considered a professional, not a minor pro, and that's the other thing too. So yeah, so make a make a rule saying that if you played at the highest level in your country for any more than one year. All right, you're disqualified. I, we're sorry. We're not being racist at all. You get drafted and you come over here and you work your way through the minor league system. See, none of these guys ever had to play in the minors. They're, they signed seven-year deals, international uh, free agent signings, and boom, you're in the majors. You're in the mejor leagues. So as far as I'm concerned, if you play more than one year of elite league uh, baseball or hockey or whatever it is, in, in a country, a recognized country, let's say it's got to be one of the top 20 countries in that sport internationally, then you are uh, exempt. You, uh, you cannot be a rookie of the year ineligible. in North America. You are ineligible. Thank you. Exempt would be a different thing there. Uh, and who's with me on this one? Woo! Who agrees with me that like a rookie should be like Labor Torres was signed by the Yankees, went through the minor league system, is now in the major leagues. Miguel Andohar, same thing. Uh, Mike Trout. That, these kind of guys, all right? We're not punishing the foreigners, quote unquote. We're just saying, look, if you, if you got a few years under your belt and you played at a high, high level, you can't just come here and go, hi, I'm a rookie. Hi, I'm just a kid. Jose Abreu was a grown man, a star in the Cuban leagues. Ichiro had already had over 1,000 hits in Japanese ball, maybe 2,000 for all I know. So anyway, yeah, these guys should be ineligible. And, and uh, Shone Otani, despite being a good ball player, uh, should not be the rookie of the year. And besides that, he, he's a DH. And really, who is the last DH to win rookie of the year? You can't tell me. You don't know. I don't have a clue. You don't Has know. Has anyone? Yeah. You don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> Bob Hamlin in 1994 of the Kansas City Royals. And whatever happened to him? Oh, just smacked the microphone right there. <laughs> so we've settled that. That's good. And the Sergei Makarov thing was a beauty there because it was like the NHL changed their rules. You got a 31-year-old that played in Russia all those years and... and he was on the KLM line, one of the most famous lines, and, and now he's the rookie of the year? Come on. You should have been embarrassed to accept that. So I think we've covered just about everything except for the Maple Leafs because things are just, they're evolving. Who's going to play with who? What about Babcock there? What do you think of their first couple of games? Uh, and the Raptors, still nothing from Kawhi Leonard. By the way, Monday is media day, and they're worried, the Raptors are worried that Kawhi Leonard is not going to say a word. Not one word in any language to any reporter. And this might be the most difficult thing for any writer, any broadcaster that's going to cover the Raptors. 
How do you tell the Kawhi Leonard story when the guy doesn't want to say a word? He doesn't want to be in the news. He wants his playing to speak for himself. It's going to be some roster, though. He's going to be the small forward. He's going to be small. He's like he plays. He can play anywhere on the court, man. Lowry is going to be a much better player, much better than when he was with DeRozan. And here's why. Lowry and DeRozan might have been great buddies, but they didn't mesh together in the same way. Do you know what I mean? They didn't play the give and go. They didn't utilize each other the same way. But Kawhi Leonard is going to give Lowry so much more room because he can shoot the three. So when Lowry's penetrating and there's two guys watching Kawhi Leonard, he's going to have way more room down the lane there, which he wouldn't have had, he didn't have, when DeMar was his teammate, right? Because DeMar was not a three-point shooter. So I just think that the Raptors are going to be a better team. And I think Lowry and Leonard are going to be fun to watch this year. And now you're going to add Jonas Valanciunas, who has another year of experience. And now you've got Danny Green, who can shoot the ball. And you've got Siakam, and you've got OG, and you've got uh, Ibaka. And who am I missing here? You've got to go oh, for Van Vliet to come off the bench, and DeLon Wright. I mean, it's a good-looking team, the Raptors. Yes, sir. Camp starts soon, media day. Wonder. Here's the over-under on how many words Kawhi Leonard is going to speak. Eleven. <laughs> oh, I'd take the under. <laughs> I would go it, too. You might just nod and grunt. You still think he, there's a chance he's more than one season in Toronto? Because I have it at like, I'm 99% sure he's a clipper after this season. Well, and that's real easy to say after the indications have been that he only wants to spend a year here and wants to go somewhere else. But again, let's see how he plays. Let's see how things work out. Let's see if, let's see if Toronto fans leave him alone and he's comfortable here. And he goes, you know, this is my kind of place. Low key. Hockey's the number one sport. I can do my own thing. Right? I like Canada. I like Canadian people. I like the way they treat me. I'm going to sign for six years. Ah, can you imagine? Okay, Lowry resigns. All these guys resign. Everyone wants to go to Toronto to play with Kawhi Leonard. So I'm hoping that's the case. I just want to enjoy the season. Even if it's only one season, I want to enjoy the season. Dave Winfield, I enjoyed his one season with the Jays. They won a World Series. He was gone after that year. Okay, see, they brought Paul Molitor in. I enjoyed that season immensely. I enjoyed watching Dave Winfield. And Dave Winfield was like 40 years old at the time. Yeah. This guy, Kawhi Leonard's 27. He's in the prime of his career. So again, can hardly wait. Hockey, then basketball. It didn't used to be this way. It used to be hockey, and then for a few weeks, and then basketball camps would open. But now, basketball camps open like a week after hockey. They're too concurrent. I need there to be a gap. So that'll do it for this edition of, in fact, it's episode number 37 of Hebsey on Sports. We're brought to you by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club. For great golf, great customer service, and a beautiful setting, visit crosswindsgolf.com and book your tee time online. Tell them Hebsey sent you. And for the best mortgage rates and outstanding service, contact John Vassos, the mortgage specialist. John got me a great rate, and he'll do the same for you. Call or text John at 647-533-1440. Thanks to Toronto Mike for production and inspiration, and thanks for letting us into your headspace. Tell all your friends about the show and get them to subscribe at HebsyOnSports.com for free. Back with another episode soon. Until then, so long for now.